You're listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. Voices of Value, Episode 8. We're back with our second part interview with reigning Roy Higgins medalist Craig Williams, Group 1 winning jockey across the globe. In the first part of the interview last week, we talked about setting yourself for success. This week, Willow, I want to talk about how you deal with adversity. And, you know, the introduction that we gave uh, in Episode 7 where we talked about your absolute amazing CV... The thing that could have been at the very top of that would have been from 2011 when you had won the Caulfield Cup, won the Cox Plate, and the horse you were booked to ride ended up winning the Melbourne Cup. You would have been the first jockey in history, not just to win those three in the one season, but on three totally different horses. It's not like we've ridden winks to three group ones in a row. This is three totally different horses that you would have been able to do that for, but for a suspension in the week leading up to the actual Melbourne Cup. Uh, so therefore you couldn't ride Dunedin, which actually would have completed the trifecta. Just uh, don't want to open up uh, an old wound, but talk us through that scenario. First and foremost, um, how did you sort of feel leading into knowing that you had a very strong live chance of riding uh, the Melbourne Cup winner? Because you yet to, of your impressive wins, the Melbourne Cup still eludes you. How did you feel knowing that you were leading into that opportunity and then therefore that tragic day in Bendigo where you got suspended? Well, I was on cloud nine winning uh, the Caulfield Cup on Southern Speed and then Pinka Pinka was one of my my finest rides mm. and the mare was just great on the day to win one of our classic races in the Cox Plate. And then I remembered we were invited to uh, the opening of the Royal Children's Hospital yep. and the Queen was there and we had uh, my wife and I were so excited to go and see the Queen and uh, I thought it was an amazing part of the day and I thought she was amazing and... And then um, I got picked up in the car, Lisa got driven home and I got driven down to Bendigo and it was just business as usual and it was one of those rare rare days and it was a false start and we went back in and, and I remember the race and over 200 metres I'd shifted out probably 40 centimetres over a 200 metre period and, and ended up being um, perceived by or, or deliberated on and get, being suspended and the way the rules were in Victoria back then, um, it meant that... Um, if I didn't win an appeal, then I wouldn't be able to fulfil my booking on uh, on Dunedin in you know our greatest race, the Melbourne Cup. At this stage, it's just another handicap for me. But um, if I actually win it, it's going to be the greatest race on earth. So yeah, sure. I remembered that, um, and I, I'd done all my homework. Um, I went into I went to VCAT. I was looking. Um, I thought we were in a good chance, and then the VCAT ruling changed. They ended up holding the inquiry right then on the spot, and. Uh, and next minute I was, was out for the, the Melbourne Cup and didn't have won it. So I, I, I love going to movies and my 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 strength around me is my family, especially my wife. And I thought if I go away with them, so if I get my blood test, which I get four times a year to make sure they're happy with everything inside, I usually like to take my children before school so I can't cry in front of them because I don't like needles too much. <laughs> so I use their strength uh, when, when I'm feeling down. So we all decided, well, I decided let's go to the movies. Um, no mobile phones in the movies and uh, no TV and let's go. Anyway, so uh, I remember watching uh, Hugh Jackman, um, Real Steel, 
and uh, you know how they come on and they say you know turn a mobile phone off uh, they didn't do it in Ukrainian so my wife didn't turn hers off and <laughs> and I remembered that I could I heard a phone ring and she answers and her friends all excited in, in Russian saying he's he's horse one he's horse one I knew something couldn't be right then my my pants started vibrating with my phone ringing and I thought oh this is not good I knew it'd be around the, I know it's around the time anyway it was pretty hard to take and then I remembered coming home and and then uh, they invited us to come out to the celebration as I was part of his um, preparation and would have been his jockey. And take nothing away from his rider, uh, Christophe Lemaire rode him spectacular on the day. First ride in Australia, first ride on, on him in, and in the Melbourne Cup and won our greatest race. So take nothing away from his yeah. rider, it was fantastic. And then uh, Laysa said to me, we've got to go because then when you win it, you'll know what to do after you win it. So I said, well, that's <laughs> a great attitude. And it was really hard to suck up, of course. But, you know, that's... Uh, um, you know, my, my children were healthy and well and we try to find the worst case scenarios to make sure you realise how lucky you are but being brought up in racing and lived it, breathed it, wrote stories about it at school, yeah, it was tough but uh, it just drives you to... So then after that, the thought process was um, maybe no Bendigo <laughs> as the rules were in place back then, a Bendigo Cup meeting, sorry. And the other thing is that we knew that we knew the right horse to win the race. Yeah. So since then, we've finished third and fourth in the race um, and a lot of other places behind that. But um, it just drives me to to the story that, you know, when I am lucky enough to win it, then the story is going to be even better and the feeling is going to be even more important because uh, of, of what happened back in 2011. But I don't dwell on that. I was lucky enough to, to ride him again over in uh, the next month. He represented a, um, he was representing the big international meeting in, in Hong Kong and I'd been racing in Hong Kong for three years and I won the first big international Hong Kong vase from there and uh, and then I realised then that, um, you know, it was it meant so much when I won the Hong Kong vase on Dunedin and they stuck with me and even their support. I remembered being in the bathroom before, the night before I had to go to VCAT and uh, David Rivers, who manages Sheikh Farhad's Horses, who is the owner of Dunedin, said... Uh, Craig, we've sent out uh, Christophe Lemaire. We are waiting, even if it meant to the 10 minutes before the race. If you get off, you are riding that horse. Mm. And that just, and I, I remembered getting off the phone and I said to Lace from the bathroom, We've just won the Melbourne Cup. Mm. And I realised, well, the horse did. And I didn't get off and didn't get to ride him. But just having that support now, that's built that relationship that I ride for Qatar Bloodstock here. I can go over to England and ride for Sheikh Farhad and David Redvers all over there. And and um, so that did build a bond, and so there is always a positive thing that came out of uh, the end result, which was always negative, but I'm healthy and well, and if you get injured being a jockey, then you can't ride any of them. So no. it just meant I couldn't ride for a week, and yep. it was hard, but we move on, the story's going to be better. And so when um, you know you get that sort of belief that you'll be able to cement that relationship, a lot will be because of the way you helped Christoph prepare for Junid and gave him all the intel about what you knew about the horse, about how you prepared for the race yourself, gave him effectively uh, all the benefits of your you know, homework and your understanding and gave him every chance for success. And that wasn't lost in his acceptance speech as well, where he acknowledged your input there as well. And so, But you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel just a little bit of uh, woe is me or a little bit of uh, – but it sounds to me like you were – picked up fairly quickly because your wife forward focused you to say 
we all know what it really means now when it's your turn and your turn will come if you keep doing the work and if you keep preparing and showing up and presenting yourself and knowing what a good horse, a good chance in a Melbourne Cup is going to look like. And you've had a few over the journey. You've been incredibly unlucky with, you know, some of the imports that have come over with uh, issues that they've had, not so much you've had. But um, so it sounds to me like perspective is what got you back into the, the, the positive mindset of moving forward. Yeah, there's no doubt having positive people around you. If you had all negative people around you, then that would build and be a huge negative. But it's amazing. We The next month, you're riding Dunedin, winning one of the world's biggest races in the Hong Kong Vars. Yeah. And I lived there for three years and couldn't, couldn't get an international winner. So it, it's amazing. It cemented that relationship, which is one of the biggest players in the racing globally yep. now. Um, races horses in Japan and... Um, yeah, no, it's, I guess, I know we always say it's character building. I didn't really think I wanted that character at that time. But in regards to helping out Christophe Lemaire, I didn't get to where I where I am today without people helping me along the way. And I know I've had people comment to me and say, I'll oh, be careful helping out those young apprentices because they'll be beating you soon. Well, I said, well, they're beating me, then I've got to improve my game. So <laughs> I'd say the better the competition, because we're globally, jo- being a jockey becomes global now, you have to have people challenging you all the time. Yeah. I don't want to be – you'd love to be the big fish in a little pond, but as long as that pond is challenging you every time, you know, I love the competition, you know, and I'm, I'm happy. If someone beats me because they're better than me, that's fine, but I maintain that I'd be only extremely disappointed if I made a mistake or I didn't prepare well enough, and that's why they beat me. I'm hearing abundance thinking there, Pete. What are you, what are you hearing when you hear that sort of dialogue from Willow? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think uh, the way you're able to put the, that positive spin and you've, you know, you face adversity. I mean, we all face adversity in business and so forth, but um, you've had enormous amounts of success. What I want to know is when you're dealing with the connections and with the trainers, you're obviously getting a lot of information that's, um, that's really spewed upon you. How do you go about sort of balancing sort of what you know and what you do and staying true to that? And also taking these, um, these third party sort of voices from the connections who, uh, at times think they know probably a little more than that, what they do, but well and truly from the trainers as well. So what is your relationship like with those, more particularly with the trainers, I think, but also like to know when you get back and, and you've either come first, second or third, or particularly when you've come second or third or fourth, how do you deal with um, uh, with the connections and so forth and with, when they give their certain opinions? Well, that is a really good question and it is important because it's, it's a management part. Um, Every trainer's different, every owner's are different and they. there's an old saying to say, you can say anything you like about their wives but don't talk badly about their horses. So <laughs> it's one thing that you've got to be mindful plus we've, they might have given, they might have given the rider or myself an awful ride and you know, you might have, you might have been fearful and you might have stared death in, the, in your eyes and had a really bad incident that, so things could have been changed Um to your attitude when you come back. So it's really important that from once you go past the winning post that I collect my thoughts, I keep my attitude in check where it could be anger, disappointment, excitement. Excitement's always good. They love excitement. Winning, I, I, I know one thing, it's pretty easy coming back to winning owners. Everyone is happy. But it's the ones that when you're not winning or or should have won, but I've always maintained that it's pretty simple. You know, We're on radio, so you can't do it. But if you're... Yeah, I'm a bit shorter than you guys, but if you put your hand up and from the ground and say that's that's the expectation, and then you drop it down to my kneecaps and then say that's that's the reality. So that's the thing that that everyone's got to keep in mind. Um, it's an expensive hobby to own a racehorse, um, and I don't bet, 
So I don't have the same understanding or thinking that of people that do punt. So I can I don't get my head around that. I'm always one for the horse, um, the feeling it gave me, and where to go next with it, or what might be able to help improve that horse to get the best result next time. And um, and 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 it is very very a manageable position that you've always got to make sure that you try and do your best. And there was a situation not long ago where the trainer asked me to be really um, um, don't don't hold back. Tell him exactly how you think the horse went and where you think it should go. And unfortunately, as it turned out, I told him what I felt from um, having the confidence of the trainer to be able to do so. And I've now lost that ride because they felt I wasn't confident because <laughs> they're going a different direction. Mm. So, so it's a thing that you have to manage all the time. Yeah. Um, and 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 in racing, um, there's a lot of money involved um, from prize money to breeding in regards to placing or winning with mares or colts. So there's a lot at stake and we do have split-second decisions to make and we accept that and um, we're, we're meant to not make mistakes but they do happen and I just know one thing, it's pretty simple that, that I maintain. If I've made an error, I just say it's just much better just to come in and say, look, I made a mistake, I, I buggered that one up badly, I'd love to have it. I'd love to get it going again, I won't make the same mistake twice but I did make an error. Um, so I think that's the best advice I can give is if I've made a mistake, I'm the first to want to put my hand up and say, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. So, uh, and the other thing that people have to remember is um, if it costs me as a jockey, uh, sorry, if it's cost them as an owner, it's cost me as a jockey as well. Yep. I only get a riding fee. So I need to make sure I get the best out of my horse for most important, it's not just for the day, but most importantly, it's for future a relationship that even if I don't want to ride that horse again, it makes sure that I get offered that horse to ride again. Mm-hmm. That means that I've done my job well. So what do you do when you know you've given it every chance, it just hasn't performed, but you come back to a group of owners who have high expectations, as you say, their expectations are the size of a six foot seven bloody basketballer, but the reality of their horse is, is that it's not going to go above your kneecaps. You, you tell them the truth, you tell them what you felt, you tell them all those sorts of things. Then you get the feedback from the trainer uh, which might be different again. Then you might hear over the fence from some punter who's talking through their wallet that they've just, you know, um, that you may have cost them a quaddy or something. How do you filter through all that information? Like social media is just, you know, the trolls on social media. I know you're not on it, so that helps you potentially. But how do you weigh up all that feedback and get to your truth or your reality at the end of a ride? I think you've got to be analytical. Uh, now, I was—I remember when I started, all I wanted to do was please everyone and I realised you can't. Yeah. <laughs> There's so, so many different minds, so many different expectations and um, and then you realise that um, I thought the word analytical became better in regards to me to move on. Uh, I've got a good management structure around me. I've got a writing group, which are very good and we worry about focusing on, make sure that we're happy there and even before I won uh, the cha- the last year's championship i went through a period that i didn't ride a winner for i think oh no, a month maybe it might have been even six weeks and that's quite rare for me not to ride a winner and we were riding great we just mm. didn't have the results and we're racing quite interesting i can ride bad have the right horse and still win everyone's happy mm. so I, I think you got to keep in check mostly about make sure that you're doing everything right you're riding them well and staying confident because when you do get that opportunity as you saw, I just I rode winner after winner after winner the last that month of um, July. of June I June, think it was July. June. Yep, yep. Um, actually, it was July because I went away in yep. 
No, no, it was June. The end no of worry, it was June. We were talking regularly. I remember yeah. you were up and about. Um, so so it, it just fell into place because mm. um, we're doing the same thing, but then we got the right horses to be able to deliver the winning result. Um, but when you're telling owners that they didn't live up to their expectation, the other thing that's really got to be mindful of, and I main, maintain that with myself right now every time that I get off a horse, my comment's always made very simple mm. on face value. Yeah. I don't know how the horse is going to pull up unless I find that it felt sore or its breathing wasn't right or it bled or there was something wrong with its eye or just something the way that it didn't come back nicely or something that I felt. I would say that there could be something underlining yeah, there. Yeah. But I always maintain that I say on face value because you don't always have the, the luxury of knowing. So if I was very tough on my horse, I was very disappointed today and I thought it should have been better and it wasn't. So really disappointed to go back and grade and then all of a sudden the horse doesn't eat for a week or it's got a temperature or it lays down its box for three days. Yeah. They're the information I don't have. So imagine if I was that critical on on the yeah. horse to the owners that had their heart and they've got a very you know, basketball giant expectations mm. and then I come back and I'm quite firm with how he was on the day, mm. then all of a sudden the horse doesn't get any box. Well, they're not going to be happy with me. No. So we've got to be very, very mindful of all those aspects. And But at the same time, I've maintain my reputation my relationship over big owners and people that respect me for me telling them honestly what i felt yeah. and I, that might be right always yeah. but i'm right more than i'm wrong and they come back to me so in 22 years of being a jockey then they respect me for my opinion and my my honest uh, evaluation of the horse mm. uh, whether it be a barrier trial gallop or uh, or race day Craig, you know, I just, I'm just loving listening to this. And you've got incredible mindset, incredible belief, but incredible trust in what you do and, and how you do it. But not only that is to develop that A team around you of, of professionals to know what you do really well and to prepare so so incredibly well for that. And it's no no surprise that you've been on top of this game for so, so long. Moving forward now, you know, what – What's changing in what you do? Uh, where do you think the significant uh, opportunities are for growth and to get even better? Can you get better? Uh, and and what are the opportunities that you think are out there for someone in your field to to get better? Well, we were actually looking um, at at something um, to improve, and I guess you never stop improving. I find every day is a school day, and to get back about with my team. Um, I use one of Rick's quotes uh, when I won uh, when I won the Roy Higgins Medal. Um, it's not a solo performance being successful in this industry. To do what I do, there's so many components that have to work well um, for me to be able to perform at my best. Um, so I'm lucky and well structured. So um, I know when I have a discussion with my accountant, my financial advisor. And we say, we can always cut corners and spend less money here, there and everywhere. I don't have to buy hats and I don't have to have this person or that person. But I know to get the best results. So those small little outlays, I find I, I, I can actually make a lot more because I have things in place and spend the money to make sure that I focus on those, those key points where, where I need to be there, which be sharp and be prepared for race day. In regards to improving, I think it's important that I always can improve. Results uh, are the improving factor for people to be watching from the outside. But most importantly, my body's going well. My desires there for what we do, for the risk that we do, and and <laughs> the job, then and I love the animals. Then I don't think I've got any problem, providing I don't overtax myself. Because in Victoria or Australia, we can race every day of the year, bar 
I think it's three days of the year, which are starting to change in some states as well. So I make sure that we try and manage myself for longevity. I love the fact that I get the opportunity to travel overseas. And I find traveling overseas gives me a different goal, different perspective, um, a, a different ambition for that one month, two months, three months. And when I come back, I've got another drive and everything. So I actually enjoy um, to be able to travel, to be able to then represent Australia. And I travel to really nice countries that I love their racing there mm. and they love their racing and their jockeys. So it's it's fantastic. My family get the opportunity to have an experience in different countries, part of my work, which my accountant thinks is a great idea. <laughs> and, and I think it's just great to be able to even appreciate a lot of things when you come home and go, oh, well, I didn't, you know, we always keep thinking the grass is always green on the other side of the fence, but it's not necessarily always the case. Mm. So, and I guess people here get sick of you too going around and I always maintain there's, there's nine races on a Saturday. There's nine happy people. They're all, the other people are looking for what could we get to do that? So if you're still there, um, I, I found I had huge success by being away and having success and developing um, more as a person as a, and as a professional jockey, being away from Australia as well. How would you describe your love and respect for the animal? Oh, can't do it without it. I absolutely love I love the horses. Um, I pat and cuddle them. I'd like to do it more, but some people put some Mr. Sheen in their manes on race day, so it looks nicer, but it makes the grains all greasy. So if you find me not paddling, patting and cuddling horse style, they're a really naughty horse, or they've got Mr. Sheen in their horse's mane, and I don't want to get greasy hands, but oh, I love the animal. It's all about the animal. And, and there's, they don't talk, but they tell you enough in their body language, and I believe I'm a really good student of the thoroughbred. And, and of horses, and um, and I've got a really good feeling and understanding for them. It's great to hear, isn't it? And I think the other thing that we're hearing in all of this sort of dialogue is that just the way you're set up, you've set yourself up, this hasn't happened by accident. You know, you've got the processes in play that gives you every chance to be the best you can be, and so whether that be your... You know, your support team who gives you that positivity that you need and you, the, your ability to block out all the distractions and all the noise, your ability to start lining up in the gates, not hoping but knowing what your race is going to be, gives you a lot of certainty and a lot that strong belief that Pete was talking about earlier. Rick, what I'd love to do is I think we should well and truly get some supporting notes that, uh, that the listeners can download from this talk. Just the way Craig talks about, you know, his business yep. has just got so many correlations with, I think, a lot of people in their businesses out there. Just, just the the love of what he does, mm. and you know, his family and the balance and the focus, the mindset. We could go through a host of things. So I think we'll. What do you say? We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that, and uh, that will be an absolute easy thing to do. And then maybe as a way of bringing this interview to a, a close, Willow, if I was a young sort of up-and-coming jockey, because you, you are giving, you love to, to give your knowledge, what would be the two or three key areas you'd tell anyone new in, the, in their industries listening now? If you focus on these two or three things, success will take care of itself. What would they be, do you think? Oh, dedication, hard work. And you've got, to have, you've got to love what you do. It yeah. really helps if you're in a position where you can really enjoy what you're doing. And I, I maintain that if I was only going to be – I love getting out of bed and challenging myself. So to know that uh, – I think even in businesses, to know that you give people the opportunity that they can go better and better, mm. I think that's really important to help people grow. There's no point just doing the same thing every day to make sure that if you work really hard, get really good results, that you know you can go to that next step, then that next step and get to the peak. 
Yep. I think that's really important for businesses and people in businesses. Mm. And if you're hearing anything here as you're listening to this sort of exchange, the value in, in Willow's message to you is is that you know, I know him fairly well. I know he doesn't do it for the money. He still takes the money, but if uh, if he if he could do this for you know, if, if there's nothing on the offer, he'd still do it because it's he's he's a competitor. He loves to win, but he realizes that he needs to love the preparation more. He needs to understand that he is a business operating within the great confines in the arena where time checks are everything, weight is everything. His checks and measures are amazing. We've all got tough jobs, but I don't think anyone listening here has an ambulance following them around in their workplace every day for everything that they do. So uh, I think one of the reasons why he does so well is because he understands that uh, a lack of preparation could be mortal for him. So he wants to get it absolutely spot on and absolutely right. And I think if I've heard anything in this uh, particular two-part session of these particular uh, interviews with Willow, we've heard a guy who's incredibly passionate about what he does, he's incredibly dedicated and he understands that it's going to be hard work in the absence of anything else and preparation that's going to give him the best chance for success so Craig on behalf of all of our listeners we get a lot of feedback uh, but unfortunately it's normally post the actual interview mm-hmm. so I'm sure once I do get some uh, feedback uh, that I'll let you know that because um, it is important to understand that I know Pete and I just love hanging out with um, you know value-added people and you certainly have added value to us in this particular two-part episode so on behalf of all of our uh, community on Voices of Value thank you so much for a making the time available b being so giving and and then finally just uh, most importantly having the ability to sort of educate pete on horse racing because he's not that smart (laughs) with it he's a vrc member but uh but no in all in all seriousness mate you are an elite of what you do you are world class the fact that we've had you for two parts over this episode uh, is something we haven't taken lightly for granted so Mm. on behalf of everybody we say thank you absolutely thanks craig really appreciate it hope to get you listening out there over the spring carnival to enjoy um great racing so there you go this is our first voice of added value in our our podcast be listening in the next few weeks as we bring in more voices of value to craig williams we say very best of luck in the spring racing carnival hopefully uh in the next few weeks we'll hear that he may have actually got a melbourne cup and that'd be awesome uh to all those again we'll see you next week we trust you enjoyed listening to voices of value a shared conversation between rick rushton and peter kakos their views are not necessarily those of the wider world but they should be If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com, and we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.